I need to give appropriate attribution this morning to the inspiration for today's sermon. Um, all the words and the images in this are mine, but the interpretive lens at looking at this passage uh, comes from the Reverend Dr. Adam Hurlson. Dr. Hurlson was on the faculty um, at the Engel Preaching Institute that I was a part of in June, and part of his class on maintaining creativity in preaching involves the use of this scripture passage. So I want to note uh, his wisdom and inspiration in today's sermon. This story today is our second Disciples on the Lake in a Boat story of this summer series at the lake. But whereas in our first story, Jesus was asleep with the disciples in the boat, in this story, he's not with them at all, having sent them on ahead of him in the boat after teaching the crowd on the shore and feeding the 5,000. And though Jesus goes off on his own to pray. By the time he's ready to join the disciples, they're out, way out at sea in the middle of a terrible storm. The wind is howling, the waves are crashing the boat, they're tacking into a strong headwind. They see a figure out on the water, and in the rain and the blur and the haze of the morning, they, they whip their face out of their hands and they squint into the squall. It's, it's too big to be a bird. Uh, it, it never goes under the water, so it can't be a fish. It, it, it looks like a person. It's a ghost. Now, the mind does some crazy things in the midst of fear and anxiety, but if you think about it, a ghost is not actually a bad conclusion for the disciples to come to in this moment. They've never read this story before. <laughs> and so you see a human-like figure walking on the water, you think that might be a ghost because people can't walk on the water. Jesus hears their screams, he hears their cries of terror, and he responds to them, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now pay attention to those words from Jesus. Is he telling the disciples to do anything other than what they're already doing in the midst of the storm? No. Is he chastised them for first thinking that he was a ghost and being so dull-witted. Not at all. All he does is speak words of reassurance. Take heart, do not fear. Does Jesus say anything about anyone needing to get out of the boat? No. If you've ever been out on the lake, or gone out on the ocean, or ridden down the river, what is the first rule of boating? Stay in the boat. <laughs> right? If you fall out of the boat, you risk injury, the boat could run you over, you've at the very least put everyone else on high alert, and you've changed the course of your trip, because they've got to pull you back in the boat. Number one rule of boating is stay in the boat. But Peter takes the opposite approach than taking heart and ceasing to fear. And he decides instead to create the game, is it a ghost? If it is you, he says. You hear it? It's a test. If it is you, command me to come to you on the water. For whatever reason, 
The word of Jesus addressed to the disciples isn't enough for Peter. Peter seeks dramatic confirmation of Jesus' presence and power. And Jesus, not to miss a teachable moment, Jesus uh, adhering to the natural consequences for your actions version of parenting, smirks, chuckles, and responds to Peter's question, come. And you heard how it goes. Peter steps out on the water, but when he realizes that he's not Jesus, he begins to sink. And in this moment, the arrogant and self-assured disciple has to cry out, save me. Jesus reaches out, pulls him out of the water, puts him back in the boat. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I wonder what Andrew, Simon Peter's brother's reaction was to this moment on the waves. Here he is, schlepping water from the boat. The other disciples are holding the lines against the strong winds. And Peter decides this is the moment to show his disciple number one status. Peter, the expert fisherman who might actually know something about how to keep the boat afloat in the midst of this storm, he decides now is the moment to show his superiority as a disciple and steps out on the boat, thus leaving them a man down to weather the storm and forcing them not only to keep the boat afloat, but to be worrying about this disciple. Andrew shakes his head in disbelieving belief. Just when he thinks Peter has gotten over himself, he proves that he still is who he always was. Jesus pulls Peter back in the boat. He asks him, why did you doubt? One way to interpret that is he's asking him, why did you doubt your ability to walk on the water to me? That's the way I've usually heard this story um, interpreted. Peter here is like a hero. This is a hero interpretation. But it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the way Matthew tells the story. I don't think Jesus is saying, why did you doubt your ability to walk on the water to me? I think he's asking, why did you doubt it was me and not a ghost? Why couldn't you trust my word when I said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Trust my word and stay in the boat. Instead, Peter comes up with this unnecessary test. He puts all the lives of the other disciples at greater risk because they have to keep the boat from sinking and think about rescuing him. He puts more on Jesus who has to reach down and pull him up to save him. And then Jesus takes him and puts him in the boat. Jesus climbs in the boat with him and the storm ceases to show that the entire purpose of this episode was to make sure that at the end of it, everybody was in the boat. You heard from the former moderator of the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church, Joan Gray, in our call to worship today, and you heard it again in our children's time. We're reminded that in ancient Christian symbolism, a sailboat is an image for what the church should look like. In fact, on our green pyramid, on the communion table, see it? Here it is, a sailboat. The covenanted community of Christ working together to collectively catch the wind of God's Holy Spirit 
to serve in faithfulness and love. In fact, the name of the church sanctuary, um, you may not remember what that looks like anymore, but um, the name of the space in the church sanctuary where the congregation sits in our sanctuary that's in pews, that's called the nave. It comes from the Latin word for ship. Think navy. And in many churches, some might say ours, the roof, the ceiling above where the congregation sits looks like the underside of a boat. The church is the boat. So take that interpretation to our passage in Matthew's gospel today. The disciples are the church in the boat. They are combating this terrible storm and strong headwinds, just as the church today combats injustice and oppression and greed and violence and selfishness and a lack of love. The storm waters bash the side of the boat. In the midst of the storm, we see a figure in a distance out on the water. And the word of Jesus comes to us. Take heart. It is I. Do not fear. In the midst of the storm, in the church, in the boat, we hear the word of life from Jesus. We hear it in a sermon. We see it in the sacrament of baptism, of the grace of God, we experience it gathered around the table of Christ. It comes to us in a group Bible study. We hear the word, the reassuring word of Jesus. And so the instruction is, keep at the work. I am coming. Bear witness. I will be with you again. And the storms will cease. But the history of the church is littered with these Peter moments. We don't trust the word, and we don't stay in the boat. We want to prove ourselves. We want drama. We want something more charismatic than a reassuring word in the storm. How can we be more aware of those Peter moments around us and in ourselves. I think it's actually pretty simple. Um, anytime our Christian identity is about our own individual identity, we're stepping out of the boat. There's a lot of examples of this, but just one to help make the connection in contemporary life. I want you to think about um, what are called parachurch movements. These are organizations that are untethered to any particular Christian congregation who make it a goal to introduce, convert, and cultivate a life of faith with someone who might never venture in to a church building on their own. Um, this can happen in like campus ministries, at colleges, or uh, groups that meet at public schools after s the school day, um, athletic organizations, fitness clubs, a variety of things like this. And evangelism is a good thing. We want people to know and follow Christ. We can't just expect folks to wander in to a sanctuary all the time. But if the goal or the end of that parachurch organization is a personal conversion of an individual without connecting that 
to a covenanted community of Christ, then we are experiencing a Peter moment out on the waves. To be a Christian is to trust the word and to get in the boat. Evangelism that doesn't draw people into the community of Christ to live with and for one another in the world is falling short of the charge. Another way this manifests that's maybe a little closer to each of us today, we come out of worship and we say, I come to worship each week to get something to help me through the next seven days. You hear how that's a Peter moment? It's coming to worship for the sake of me and what I can get and what I need. What if instead you came to worship because you were bound to all the other people here and they were bound to you and you need them in your life and they need you in their life and that we believe together that the risen Christ is going to meet us in this moment to say, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. That's a very different posture. I think if you want to diagnose this decline in Christianity that we've seen in the United States, I think you can get a lot by paying attention to how we've interpreted this story of Peter walking on the water. We've often lifted this up as Peter as an example of courage, of bravery, We've infused it with a lot of American individualism, right? And go out there and do something bold and risk a new venture and get out there and change the world and in this case, change it for God. But I think this story is actually a cautionary tale, a cautionary story about what happens when the Christian life is about me personally and not about my identity with others in the Christian community. So I don't think this decline has anything to do with musical style or what your building looks like or what you wear to worship on Sundays. I don't think it's about youth sports or Sunday morning birthday parties or no longer saying the Lord's Prayer at the beginning of the school day or reciting a psalm over the intercom. I think it comes from adopting a mentality within the Christian life that is about me and my and not about ours and we. And Peter shows us that when the church loses its understanding of itself as the boat on the waves and instead becomes individuals struggling to stand on the sea, we risk being drowned by the culture of the sea and no longer looking like the culture of Christ. The more we practice bold individual expression and hero action for the sake of being relevant to the world, the more we come to look like the sea and to be consumed by it, except for Jesus who grabs us and pulls us back out. So friends, I want to lift up the boat today boat of the church. Our calling is to sail into the storm against the headwinds, to be committed to this covenanted life with and for one another, to grow in love 
for one another and care for the world in humble service. And thus we show a witness to life upon the sea in a boat that cannot be swamped. Amen.